Welcome to Saltier Politics this week. Julie, we haven't been back for a while, but we have a lot to talk about. What's that old phrase? There are years when nothing happens and there are weeks that seem like years. And the last couple of weeks have seemed like just years and years and years packed into the last two weeks. Although I have to say, it seems like the last few months have been years and years and years packed into the last few months. It's been it's been crazy. It's been at once wonderful and horrifying and um, breathtaking to, to watch. And I'm hard pressed to think of a period of time uh, that mirrors this one, I guess, if I think about it. I mean, 9-11 was an event, um, but it was an event that happened. And then obviously things flowed from it. But to have this kind of sustained systemic, what feels like systemic change, I, I think it really goes back to the early 90s for me when, when the collapse of the Soviet Union happened. And even before that, the dominoes started falling in Eastern Europe and in East Germany, what was then East Germany. This seems very similar on a domestic level to that. It, so just It feels a, palpable. Everywhere I go, it just everybody is kind of in this shared feeling of, of change. Um, you are still down in Florida, which is a whole different animal altogether. I'll tell you what I'm seeing in New York, that we were up in Massachusetts, up at our house in the Berkshires a couple weekends ago. And uh, it was when the protests really began to happen. And we were driving back and listening to the radio to see whether the West Side Highway was shut down with protesters because the protesters had shut down parts of streets in the city. Um, and it wasn't. But I then came home, my, my son, my now eight-year-old, overheard this conversation about George Floyd and who's George Floyd. He had a friend in the car with him. He had a friend who came up with us to Massachusetts. So I didn't think it was appropriate for me to tell them both about it because I didn't know how their father, how the other boy's father or mother, how their parents wanted to address it. It wasn't, really wasn't for me to address it for um, for their son. But when we got back home and, and my, my son's friend went home, um, we had a chat, my son and I, and it was a really honest chat. It was just a really honest conversation um, about racism in this country and the history of racism in this country and the history of why it is what it is and, and why, um, frankly, black, black people in this country just don't have the same opportunities. And what was so heartbreaking to me is He's got, you know, he goes to a school, um, which is a, a diverse, his grade is, is diverse. And he's got one of his, you know, I shouldn't say one of his closest friends is a, is a little black boy, because um, that sounds really condescending, but one of his friends just happens to be for real, um, a little black boy. And um, having the conversation with him about the worries that his friend's mother has to have for his friend um, that I won't have to have for him, my little blonde son. And how walking outside, he's going to have to not worry about the same things his friend is going to have to worry about. And just having that conversation with a with a kid who just doesn't understand why that is or, or the history behind it. And, is, and, and he just looked at me like I was nuts. And he said, all of this because the color of our skin, like he, it, it seems so incomprehensible to him. He's like, because somebody's got brown skin and I've got white skin. And I said... Yeah, but there's so much more to it than that. And I hate to say this, but the conversation his mother is having around police officers 
with her son is very different from the conversation that I would have with you, that police officers is, and that's awful. And um, we really got into it. I mean, really starting with, you know, the slave ships coming here in the 1700s and, and going all the way through to today. And just, just talking about it to a kid was very startling to me because he, he came here with no background to this. And it was just devastating. So anyway, so that night, Bill de Blasio, possibly the worst mayor in New York in my lifetime at least, um, actually, there's no possibly about it. The worst mayor of New York in my lifetime. Um, my big regret is that I voted for him in his first primary because he promised to get rid of the carriage horses in Central Park, a promise he reneged on immediately. Um, but he instituted a, a, a curfew here in New York, which was, I thought, the dumbest thing he could possibly do because all it did was escalate tensions. And um, the police then were going to be deployed to enforcing the curfew rather than being deployed to, to do what they should have been doing, which is uh, patrolling the largely, overwhelmingly large number of peaceful protests and arresting those who were looting downtown and, and, and um, doing things they shouldn't have been doing. Anyway, so that night uh, at 8 p.m., the curfew went into effect. My son's bedtime is, is before 8 p.m., but I said, you know what, we're going to actually... I'm going to teach you about civil disobedience. We are going to leave the house and we are going to go stand outside just for a few minutes, just to show that we don't support this curfew because it's it's a dumb thing to do. The curfew, not us going outside. So we go outside and we walk a couple of blocks um, and there's all these police officers, none of whom care remotely about what we're doing. I mean, at all, saying hi to us, not enforcing the curfew um, with us. And suddenly these police officers say to us, um, you guys should head home. There's about a thousand marchers headed up Broadway, headed up this way. And I said, okay, thanks for the tip. And I said to my son, we're not actually going to go home. We're going to watch this protest. So we're standing on the sidewalk. We're watching this protest. And it's a, you know, literally a thousand people start coming up Broadway, up the Upper West Side. And um, it was wonderful to see. It was mostly people your age, Emily, if not younger. I mean, there were millennials, if not Gen Zers. Um, very few people my age, if, if any, um, and overwhelmingly um, a, a mixed race crowd, but primarily white, which I thought was wonderful to see that this was something that was not just limited to, you know, I mean, it was just wonderful to see people of all colors and, and, and shapes and sizes marching. And so we're standing on the corner, we're watching. And finally, this young woman calls out to us and said, what are you guys doing standing in the corner? Why don't you march? So we said, all right, let's do it. So we marched for a few blocks. And then we went home because it was past his bedtime. But um, it was nice to do. It was nice to show him the solidarity that I saw in the city. And for anybody who's thinking that New York City is some hellscape um, that's run by, quote unquote, Antifa, which we'll get to in a minute, but is a complete invention of Donald Trump and uh, his insane media cohorts. Um, or that they think that New York City is on fire or that it's being looted left and right. Not the case for them predominantly at all. Peaceful, people coming together. The police, ironically enough, first it looked like the police were stopping their police cars blocking Broadway to, to prevent these passers-by, these protesters from passing by, and then they suddenly turn around and they just let the protesters go. And I think if the police just diffused the situation, things would be 
even better than they are. Um, but these protests are largely peaceful here in New York. I understand there were some, um, there was some rioting and some looting um, a few days ago, but let's not confuse a couple of bad actors with what I've seen, which is just this overwhelming desire to change things and this overwhelming desire to, to have New York City reflect the diversity, the rest of the country reflect the diversity of New York City. And also, look, New York City's police department has had awful instances of racism. I mean, you know, going back to Amadou Diallo, if not earlier, obviously earlier, the Crown Heights riots um, back in the um, early 90s. But uh, it's it's great here. It's great here. And I want people to, listening who are not in New York City to understand that that it's great. Um, and the camaraderie and the kinship that I think you see on the streets of people of all colors standing up for what's right is really, really important. And of course, it's much more than just about George Floyd. It's about systemic racism. It's about their frustration at the complete disparity in income for for predominantly white um, New Yorkers and, and New Yorkers of color. Um, it's about frustration with the president and his policies. Um, I just feel like this, this keg has been tapped and suddenly everything is pouring out all these emotions. And I think it's great. I, I, I hope it's going to lead to some lasting consequences. But what have you seen in Florida? Is it the same in Florida or what's going on? Well, I know for when they first started in downtown Orlando, uh, the police very much like New York, it, it kind of escalated situations with curfews. But as the protests have gone on, um, I went to a local one near me. They've been very peaceful. And it's just really heartening to see so many people behind Black Lives Matter. And one of the points that you were making when you had this frank conversation with your son about race, I think is really important because in in college, I dated this awesome guy who happened to be black. And it was one of the first times like that. It For me, I've always, you know, been for everybody and equality and all that. But it wasn't until I was dating him that I really got to even realize and be really aware of, of just basic things. For example, like he would take me to the black man's appreciation dinner and black woman's appreciation dinner and I'd be the only white person in the room and I'd have this very acute awareness of being the only white person and where I was but just imagining that's what black people have to go through every day in a predominantly white society it's just being that awareness it just it takes a lot of energy and the fact that your son I guess so young is aware of of, of some of the issues that are happening, I think is really important. I think, and it's that empathy that is going to change things. Yeah. I mean, for him, I, and I didn't know really what to even say because he just, after I was done, he just looked at me literally like I was insane. Like we went, I mean, he, he knew about slavery. They've been studying civil rights, um, literally since preschool. Um, and, uh, especially around Martin Luther King, the Martin Luther King holiday, um, even back to when he was four, um, I remember his preschool taught them about um, the lunch counter protest. I mean, you know, he, he's aware. He's he, he, We went to the Smithsonian when he was probably five and, and saw the lunch counter. He knew exactly what it was. But fundamentally, for him to just look at me and just say, just because of the color of their skin, like he didn't get it. Like he just didn't understand why 
his black friends would be pulled over by a cop in a different way and, and treated with suspicion. Potentially, I'm not, this is by no means painting the, all of the police departments in the world with this, but predominantly um, when you have use of force, it is um, improper use of force. It is proportionally used much more against communities of color um, and, and black men especially than it is um, against big men or women. And um, what just was, he just didn't like, he, he just seems so dumb to him. Fundamentally, he just, and when somebody like that says that, when your little kid says that, you're like, it is so dumb. It is so dumb. It is just so nonsensical. Um, but then you explain why, and you explain the history behind it. And then you explain why it is that men of color are incarcerated at so, such higher rates than, 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 than white people. And, and it's, not because they commit more crimes, obviously. Um, it's because the justice system is not geared up to protect them from birth. I mean, from birth, they are treated with suspicion. And I remember saying that on Outnumbered many years ago. I remember when Bill de Blasio, remember that ad that Bill de Blasio ran with his son, Dante? Um, about that his hair? Yeah, about the hair, but also he said he had to have the conversation with him about police that, that obviously he would never have had to have with his son, if his son were white. Um, and that actually was the clincher for Bill de Blasio and winning that election, um, that ad and that conversation. But I remember talking about that and outnumbered many years ago when that happened. And, uh, you know, I, I said that, I said, I will never have to have that conversation with my blonde son. I just won't. And, um, that caused a lot of consternation from the audience, I recall, but it's true. And I stand by it enough, enough. Right. It's just enough. It's it's also like at that young age when you have to have that conversation with your with your child if you're a black parent or have a child of color that they know that they're different like it's already start to pl you know what I mean it's yeah. plants that see that you're different and you need to be extra careful I wanted to talk to you I saw you recently um, in an op ed with Mr Duhame who we spoke to uh, talked about the Camden Police Department because that has been making headlines as peaceful protests. And one of the quotes from Camden's chief of, of police until 2019 is, what we're experiencing today in Camden is the result of many years of deposits in the relationship bank account. Can you talk a little bit about that and, and what your, your opinion is? Well, so Camden, New Jersey, um, which is right across the river from Philadelphia, and therefore, based on its geography, should be... Um, a gold mine, a real estate gold mine. I mean, literally, um, it is to Philadelphia what Hoboken and Jersey City are to New York City. And if, if anybody listening is familiar with Hoboken and Jersey City, I mean, they just benefit tremendously from their proximity to New York. It's almost like they're, you know, the sixth borough of New York City. Camden should be that way because of Philly, but it's not. Camden was at one point not long ago. Um, I believe the most dangerous city in the country, just with astronomical murders per, ca per capita. It was a, a lawless, lawless town. Um, and a few years ago, um, a mayor named Dana Red, who's not mayor anymore, uh, dissolved the Camden Police Department and effectively folded it into the Camden County Police. So there's, there's the city of Camden, um, and then there's 
the county of Camden. And so she dissolved it and folded it into the Camden County Police. And she made all the police officers there reapply for, um, or the Camden County Police made them reapply, I believe, for their jobs. But more importantly, they started focusing on different things. Um, use of force was their last resort. Um, they focused much more on community policing. They focused much more on community interaction. And their crime rate has dropped precipitously, precipitously. And it's not a coincidence that when Philly across the river has been, you know, Philly has been a, a place where you've seen a lot of looting, a lot of rioting in the last couple of weeks. Camden, New Jersey, which, I mean, I can't describe to you what 10 years ago you would have expected in Camden, was incredibly peaceful, peaceful protests. Um, the white chief of police there uh, held up a sign basically saying that he was in solidarity with Black Lives Matter. Um, on the other side of the state, uh, in Newark, New Jersey, which if anybody's familiar with the New York riots um, in the late 60s, effectively scarred that city for generations. Um, and that also uh, was a peaceful protest. I saw a lot of peaceful protests because the, the white chief of police there as well um, was working with the community, has the trust of the community, and the mayor there has the trust of the community. A mayor named, named Roz Baraka has the trust of the community. And I think that's so important. I think what you see in New York right now is that the mayor does not have the trust of the community at all. Um, and he doesn't have much gravitas with anybody, not with the police, not with protesters, just, I, I don't know who he's got gravitas with besides possibly his immediate family, but, um, but in places where the mayor does have gravitas, uh, like Newark and does have a relationship with the people who are invested in this and is of the people who are invested in this, that completely changes the dynamic and where you've seen those kinds of peaceful protests, especially in a place like Camden, I can't begin to tell you how wonderful it is to see what's happened in Camden. So I think when people talk about defund the police, um, I think that's a misnomer. I don't think anybody wants to defund the police as in take, <laughs> take money out of, you know, the, just, just get rid of the police. I think there, there are two aspects to this. One is what are we spending money on now? that we could be deploying to make this a more holistically fair society where the police is not necessary. You know, we always talk about NDAs and I'll use this as an example, but we talk about NDAs and how lawyers say, well, if you don't have an NDA, a company doesn't have any incentive to settle. And we always say, well, why don't you change the paradigm rather than having to settle because there's a court case, why don't you do something where it won't even get to the point of having a court case, which is why don't you do something where it won't get to the point where, um, you will have to hire a lawyer to sue, that the culture is such that people are dissuaded from engaging in the bad behavior before a lawsuit is necess necessitated. Same thing here. Um, we are spending money on providing, I mean, military, to say that the police in some places is militarized is not begin to describe it. I mean, body armor of the kind that combat troops use. I mean, they practically have tanks. I mean, it's just insane. Um, rather than spend money on community policing, spend money on 
uh, supporting schools so that these kids won't turn to crime, spend money on uh, other social programs. Everybody made fun of Bill Clinton. I remember this so well and um, for the midnight basketball. I think that might have been part of the 1994 crime um, bill that Joe Biden's getting so much heat for it, but I'm not sure. But anyway, there was a crime uh, bill under Bill Clinton that that involved midnight basketball and everybody made fun of it and said, oh, you're just you know paying kids to play basketball. No, what you're doing is you're seeing, making sure that they are occupied in some capacity at midnight where they're directing their energy and their physical activity towards playing basketball and not towards engaging in bad behavior. And it worked and it was a success. And that's the kind of stuff that I think people are talking about. I think to say defund the police is simplistic. Nobody in their right mind, I think, I mean, if people believe this and they're, I think they're wacko, believes that you need to just get rid of all police altogether. But there's got to be a better relationship between the police and the communities they serve. I agree. Do you think so from a communications and consulting standpoint, the name defund the police, do you, do you see it as being like another Obamacare versus, you know, yeah, it's, healthcare it's, it's, kind of thing? Because I think it's being twisted into a yeah. bad thing. Whereas, well, you know what? I don't even think it's being twisted. I don't think anybody believes this at all. Um, certainly Trump's base believes it and certain conservative media wants to pump it out. But I, Look at the polls. And by the way, you know who's defunded the police? Donald Trump. He's cut a tremendous amount of money in his budgets to hiring um, community police officers. Like a tremendous amount. If there's one person that has defunded the police, it's Donald Trump. Defunding the police is not the issue, but having a situation where you allow the police to develop a different relationship with their communities where black boys who walk to school by themselves don't have to worry about going to um, get arrested or being stopped by the cops and, and engaging in some sort of altercation. It's What's interesting to me is I read a very heartbreaking story and I forgot who wrote it uh, and I'll, I'll find it, I'll look it up and I'll tweet it out, but by an African-American man who goes running every day. And he says he wears like an Ivy League sweatshirt every day just so that if anybody sees him running, they don't think he's doing anything bad, that at least they might think he's a college-educated man and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. That's tragic. That's tra Do you remember when Geraldo went after, I forgot who it was, Trayvon Martin, I forgot who it was, May, may not have been Trayvon Martin, but somebody, he said, you know, don't wear hoodies. You look like a Yeah, thing. it was Trayvon with the hood. Was it Trayvon? Yep. So, okay, my kid wears a hoodie all the time because, frankly, they're convenient when you're cold. And if you need a sweater and then if his head gets cold, I can stick the hood over his head. I would venture to say that nobody's going to think he looks like a quote-unquote thug because he wears a hoodie. I think we know who that was referring to. That's awful. That's awful. That if my son took a hoodie off of his body and gave that same hoodie to his black friend, that that black friend suddenly would be perceived by some people as looking like a thug, whereas nobody would ever say that about my kid. Ben Feldman's here. Oh, nice. Yeah, why not? Sure. Uh, more excited so, than that. Sure. My friend Ben just walked in. I haven't seen him in months. He's wearing a 
Leather mask? The cloth mask. Oh, cloth mask. But what the hell? Let's have them join our podcast. Welcome, Ben. Welcome. This Welcome is, to me. This is like, this is like <laughs> what is that scene in uh, Seinfeld? Where they have the uh, old the Murph, Murph where they have the old Murph Griffin set. He walks in, he's like, oh. I would like both of your opinion on this, Ben. I don't know. Do you watch The Bachelor or Bachelorette? Uh, I do not. Okay. No, Emily, the only person who watches that nonsense well, is you. Well, for and our million other Americans. Yes. Well, for our no. millennial listeners and those Americans who do watch it, it, there was some drama between former contestants that I think raises an interesting conversation. So bachelorette Becca Kufrin's fiance, Garrett, he jumped on Instagram on Thursday and asked people not to judge, quote, all cops during this time. He said, with so many friends and family in law enforcement, I couldn't sit back and not support them in the hundreds of thousands of men and women of all races that represent this thin blue line as well. We can't judge an entire group of people by actions of a few. We we can't judge the peaceful protesters by the actions of the few violent protesters. And we sure can't judge all cops by the actions of a few bad ones. Then, Becca with a K, not his fiance, came back with an. There's Becca with this a. This other, other Becca with a K. Yeah, his not. I love the way is like, this is the way to show of all time. Becca with a K, Becca with a C. Okay. <laughs> his non fiance. Um, okay, so Becca with a K. Okay, um, she said, a. she said, here's the thing. Being black is not a uniform you can remove or, or t- remove on your days off. It definitely does not protect you from the justice system. It is not something you get paid to be. And it most certainly is not something you can quit or retire from. Stop comparing the experience of a chosen career to the experience of being black. You can love a cop, marry a cop, have a brother who's a cop, and you still hate the Blue Lives Matter movement and what it represents. You can choose to support cops and understand that the thin blue line flag now represents and signal Blue Lives Matter to the majority of the population. So then this resulted in Garrett that, not inviting... very woke for a bachelorette consent contestant. Is she pissed off because she didn't get chosen to be the bachelorette? Is there some resentment there? I don't think so. Well, but like then uh, Garrett and his fiance and then Becca were all friends and Garrett disinvited her to his house. But anyways, I thought (laughs) that's some side drama, but I thought this brought up a good conversation. The fact that yes, you can be for police and have police as family members, but you can still also recognize the fact that police are choosing a career. So listen, I don't think there's anything dishonorable in being a police officer, right? It's, it's, I know a lot of them and they, they are in it for the right reasons. So I don't want to say, I think it's a little ridiculous to suddenly say, well, you choose to be a police officer, you're a bad person. I think what's ridiculous is when the thin blue line matters more to you than justice or doing what's right. And I don't think, uh, I don't know enough about how police departments operate to know what takes precedence, but I think it's kind of silly to just say, well, you choose to be a police officer, therefore you made a horrible life choice. I mean, the reality is no, they didn't. And for anybody who lived through 9-11 in New York City, you know what the police did for us. Um, And so I'm not going to sit there and say the police are, you know, you made a bad decision being a cop. I think that's awful to say. I think what is relevant is that if you see injustice happening, you stand up and you 
address it, even if it's by your police buddies. And by the way, look, uh, at least in New York, you have a very diverse police department. It's not just, you know, the old Irish cop stereotype. I don't know that that exists anymore. So I just want, it's nothing's black and white. And this is what I hate about social media. And frankly, I've never watched The Bachelor, but I'm sure it's probably got the intellectual level of, of Twitter, which is not to offend anybody who watches The Bachelor. But I think these are complicated issues. Defund the police is a dumb slogan that addresses a complicated issue of priority and resource allocation. Um, saying you could, you're somehow a bad person because you choose to be a cop is simplistic and kind of silly to say. So that's my two cents. Benjamin, do you want to weigh in on this? Yeah, I mean, I think, listen, at the end of the day, it's uh, I've seen people sort of kind of make those kind of comparisons. And I think it's really, it's apples to oranges, right? You know, you're talking about, you know, on the one hand, you know, protesters where, you know, the level of organization is probably, you know, a couple of tweets and, you know, things that people post on Facebook and some emails. When you're talking about, you know, the criminal justice system, you're talking about a multi-tiered, multifaceted system that has been put together and maintained by, you know, budgetary decisions and legislative decisions over the course of quite literally hundreds of years. And, you know, just because you are a police officer does not necessarily mean that you, you are evocative of the worst stereotypes about that profession. But I think the problem that people have is, you know, not necessarily with every specific police officer, but the way that criminal justice is administered in this country and the reforms that are necessary to make it, you know, more just, more equitable, you know, more colorblind. And, you know, to really acknowledge something that I think I've seen pop up in a couple of places over the course of the last couple of weeks, which is that, you know, police officers have a very specific, and if you look at the role, a very narrow job. It's to, you know, basically to protect and serve. It is not to be the first line of, you know, response for matters involving mental health, matters involving, you know, um, individuals who have been failed by the social safety net. And, you know, I think it just, it creates a very messy situation. And that's on top of, you know, a lot of other concerns about the over militarization of our police and things like that. Yeah, we also, Ben raises a good point. You know, when you talk about defunding the police, I think where what Ben said is entirely apt, which is think about the priorities where you have police rounding up people who are mentally ill, who are homeless and, and sticking them in jail potentially, um, where they now have a record as opposed to getting them the treatment that they need. Um, we send drug addicts to prison a lot of times, especially if they are poor and don't have the money for a good lawyer. That's wrong. I mean, that's an illness, that's an addiction, but yet we send people to prison for it. Um, all sorts of things that we can spend our money on that is better allocated than just the pipeline of in and out of prison, in and out of prison. Cause listen, once you go in, you have that record, some States, you can't even get a barber's license. I mean, you can't be licensed to be a hairstylist or a beautician if you have a prison record. That's insane. So to me, prison, and we talked about this around Bridgegate, we talked about this around other instances, 
prison to me is a last resort. I mean, you lock people up when you have no other choice because they're going to kill somebody if you don't lock them up again. But we send so many people to prison for the smallest infraction as opposed to addressing the larger issue that would prevent them from having to go to prison in the first place. Um, you know, there are there's a large number of students in New York City and across the country who don't have access, for example, to iPads or tablets or internet to do remote learning during COVID. We don't have money for that, apparently. We don't have money to give them the resources they need to learn, but we have money to buy body armor for police officers and tanks and other toys that they just don't need. That's what it, I think people mean when they talk about the stupid slogan of defunding the police. It's the priorities. You educate these kids, chances are they will have a shot in life that will preclude them from having to go to prison eventually. That's the part that I think is, is of concern. Right. Well, and I think the scope of police, like their jobs has gotten uh, almost to, to do functions that they weren't initially trained to do, like dealing with mental illness or homelessness and stuff like that. That should be more of a social worker thing. Yeah. I mean, I think essentially like that's, and that's, this is a situation we find ourselves in that has evolved over time as cuts have been made to, you know, things like education, things like mental health. Um, you know, we've, we've asked the police to sort of step in because somebody quote unquote has to deal with it. And the reality is like a lot of money and resources have been going to things like, you know, those, whatever they're, the Bearcats, like the large tactical assault vehicles and things like that, that, you know, there are certain instances where those are needed and necessary. We had an incident in Jersey city at the end of last year that gained a lot of national attention where it was literally, it was a wild west style shootout and tools like that were very useful in that situation. But those situations are, you know, fortunately exceedingly rare. And at the end of the day, you know, things like Julie mentioned, where you're talking about, you know, resources that kids need that go without because we've made cuts to education. Those are things that kids need every day that they are going without. When you talk about social workers that are needed to treat issues like mental illness and addiction, those are things that certain constituencies need every single day that they're going without. And the absence of those resources in those areas, you know, creates a problem and creates a price that we all pay every single day. Right. So really, I mean, going back to what was said before, you know, defund the police is a simplistic slogan, but, you know, the core concept of, you know, making better choices about what our priorities are and how we can ultimately sort of get to where I think we collectively would like to be um, is a conversation worth having. Okay. So what is making you guys salty this week? Well, I mean everything. But it's making me salty. Donald Trump listening to OAN, which O N N O A N, some One America Network. Yeah, OAN. Um, yeah. Who cares? Uh, who cares? And suddenly retweeting their nonsense about how the seventy-five-year-old man who was struck by cops is still hospitalized, was bleeding from his head, was possibly could be Antifa. First of all, let me just say this about Antifa. I don't know what the hell Antifa is, other than this is like the definition of, this is a continuation of what the new Black Panthers were before that, and the terrorist fizz jab was before that. 
um, it's like three guys saying we're Antifa and suddenly everybody's decided by everybody. I mean, the president and his media enablers have decided this is some vast movement. Um, I don't know what it is. I mean, I know what Antifa stood for after World War II, which is making sure that fascism doesn't come back uh, to Europe, which I'm all for. But nevertheless, he could be Antifa. I don't know what that means. It's It's the same as like, if you remember that horrible conspiracy theory of, of John Podesta running a pedophile pizza, a pedophile ring out of a pizza shop in Washington and suddenly some crazy guy took it seriously, came up there and tried to shoot it up. This is the same thing. He could be, I mean, the guy is 75 years old. He is in a hospital. He was knocked down by police officers twice as young as he is. And the president of the United States is actually going at him. By all accounts, this man was peacefully protesting. By all accounts, the not by all accounts, the officers have been charged with assaulting him. And yet the president is engaging in crazy paranoid conspiracy theories. I'd say he sounds like a crazy old man living in a bunker, but if we found out this week, he really is a crazy old man living in a bunker. So um, it's just, I cannot believe this is the leader of the free world. Uh, I can't believe this is the president of the United States. Vladimir Putin could not have envisioned it better. He, he must be thrilled at what he's seeing right now. That's what's making me salty. How about you, Ben? Uh, well, in addition to the high salt content of all the bad food I've been eating during quarantine, uh, I think in a lot of ways the same. Um, you know, you are watching, uh, we're very used to in times like this, you know, the people who are in leadership providing a certain sense of reassurance and a certain sense of comfort. And you're seeing the opposite of that, you know, and to Julie's point, you know, you've seen a lot of reporting over the course of the last couple of weeks of, you know, Trump becoming increasingly, you know, not just physically isolated, but increasing, increasingly mentally isolated. He's watching, you know, polling both nationally, you know, pivotal states that he thought were easy wins for him this time around turning against him. And supposedly during the course of the last week, you know, he's made calls to that, you know, informal, you know, kitchen cabinet that he's got of fellow kooks. Um, they're not necessarily telling him what he wants to hear. And you're seeing his behavior play out in increasingly aggressive, you know, crazy ways, um, you know, manifested both in what he tweets, um, you know, and the actual decisions that he makes. Um, and, you know, it's, you, you don't see that letting up. And, you know, to, to echo what Julie said, I mean, the real fear is that, there are people out there who are sympathetic to his point of view um, and still abide by that, that old belief that somebody who, in his, who is in a position of power like him couldn't say things like that if they weren't true. And the danger is they take those things literally and they act on them in you know, violent and abhorrent ways. What about you, Em? Um, first, I'm going to be using that kitchen cabinet of kooks. I really like that. Um, but so one of the things was we've been seeing a lot in the news, the mention of the Tulsa massacre of 1921, where black wall street was destroyed and about 300 people were killed. I, in middle school, high school, I did not learn this in my history books until I got to college and was a history major, which is a big problem because we learn about, like you said, Julie, like Martin Luther King, we learn about slavery, but that's pretty much 
the scope of black history. And um, but so in short, what happened was the Greenwood District included a threat in Oklahoma, a thriving, economically independent community of middle class African-Americans in Tulsa. And they were wealthy and some even had their own private planes in 1921. So what happened was on May 31st, whites in KKK gear bombed and set fire to it and nearly 10,000 people were left homeless. And it's all traced back to a false account of a black 19-year-old blamed for assaulting a white female elevator lift operator. Um, the Tulsa police held the black man in custody at the town courthouse and then mobs of armed white men said to be planning on lynching him were met with the armed black men and it sparked one of the worst race massacres in history. I think I think our history, just much much like our policing system, our history system needs to be reassessed. Agreed. So Agreed. that's what's making me salty. Our, what's I, making you happy? Making me happy is it's Pride Month. And oh, yeah. Despite all of the uh, parades being canceled, we are all fighting for equality. And hopefully this is this month leads to a new step in that in that area. Amen. Let's end on that. That sounds great. All right. Have a great one. I'll talk to you all later. Sure.